Welcome to OB Wannabes, an educational podcast about obstetrics and gynecology and women's health for medical students and women's healthcare providers. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of OB Wannabes. I'm Cassie. And I'm Shelby. And we're here today with our amazing guest speaker, Dr. Rasuli. Uh, Dr. Rasuli is a um, graduate from USC, a Trojan through and through, getting her BA from USC and then doing the dual degree program with Keck School of Medicine and the Marshall School of Business. And she graduated in 2019 with her MD, MBA before starting residency at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, where she's currently a second year OB-GYN resident. So welcome Dr. Rasuli to our show. We're so excited to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah, so the topic of today's episode is um, how do you become an OB-GYN? So last week we kind of talked about what is OB-GYN and what that specialty is, but today we're going to talk about uh, how you become an OB-GYN and the different paths that you can take after uh, completing your residency in OB-GYN. Yeah, so it is a kind of a long process to get there. Um, first, after graduating college, um, so that's four years of college generally, um, you apply to medical school. And you don't have to be a bio major in college to go to medical school. Um, you do have to take all the science requirements. So after the four years of college, um, well, some people apply straight away. Some people kind of take some classes, do some other activities to kind of boost the resume or pursue interests they have outside of um, just school. And then they apply to medical school. And medical school is generally four years. Um, I, I took a fifth year to get my MBA um, and there at my school there were a lot of programs that offered different pathways so you could do MBA you could do MPH um, there was also PhD which was a little bit longer um, so there's a little bit of different um, paths you can even take in medical school um, generally third year of medical school is when everyone tries out all the different rotations so for six weeks you are a general surgeon and then you're a internal medicine doctor and then you're a pediatrician and you kind of wear the different hats and you see okay what fits best for me um, and then you basically apply your fourth year and you kind of make a decision and you go for it and you um, interview and once you get in it's a match process so it's a little bit different than let's say medical school or college where you got a list of places you got to you have to talk to your family and friends and be like okay I think I'm gonna go here this is a little bit different you rank your preferences from everywhere that interviewed you they rank their preferences based on who they interviewed and then it's a computer program and your fate is decided <laughs> um, so after that you go to residency and it's another four years for residency to become a OBGYN Wow, so a little bit scary, you know, not knowing really where you're going to end up and just kind of putting it all out there. How many schools did you end up applying to, uh, just say even for, for medical school? Um, so when I was in high school, as a senior, I applied to like the joint um, MD, BA MD program at USC. The program doesn't exist anymore, unfortunately. They stopped it a few years while, like a few years into me being into college. Um, so... I decided my fourth year that I was just gonna stay at USC um, and I didn't apply out. So I just I just applied to USC. Yeah. Oh, that sounds like a great opportunity. <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it was a good program. There was like 22 of us, I think each year. Um, and they had like certain requirements you had to meet, but other than that, it gave you more freedom to do other classes um, and kind of pursue other interests that weren't just like focused on getting into medical school. 
Awesome. So um, kind of fast forwarding to when you decided that you wanted to become an OB-GYN, um, I know some doctors talk about kind of that defining moment where, you know, they're working in clinic and they realize this is what they want to do. Um, did you have a similar experience? Yeah, I think going into medical school, I really didn't have much exposure to OBGYN. Uh, I just hadn't really thought about it or considered it too much. I was always really interested in women's health, but I didn't know anything about the specialty in, in uh, specifically. And so funny enough, I decided to do my surgical rotation first because I was for sure not going to be a surgeon. That's what I said. I was like, let me just get it out of the way and let's just start with it. And and then I ended up doing my gen surge rotation followed by six more weeks of like subspecialties, including breast surgery. Um, and I loved it. And I was like, whoa, who knew I would like to be in the OR? I was totally shocked by myself. Um, and I was a little bit considering it at the end of my like rotation. Um, maybe I'd be a gen surge resident. I don't know. And then right after um, my, that experience, I did OB and everything just clicked. It was like I had some OR time, but then I had clinic time and it was working with women and I was just happier than I had been um, like ever really just going to work. I, I loved it. Um, and then the rest of the year, I tried basically comparing every other rotation to my experience and seeing if it ever, it, nothing really came close. Um, so when it came time to decide, I was like, I have to do OB. Like, I just love it. It's so refreshing to hear how passionate you are about it. <laughs> yeah. So since you kind of figured out a little bit earlier on that you were interested in OB, uh, when you were applying for auditions and everything, did that make it a little bit easier? And how did you kind of decide where you wanted to apply for auditions? Yeah, definitely. I think for people who are really um, still like struggling to pick between a few specialties, that can be a hard place to be when you're submitting your away rotation application because you end up kind of spreading yourself thin because maybe you'll do one and like you're just not sure and it's a really hard place to be if you are pretty sure I think I had like by January February that was when my applications were due and I was had already like known I was going to do OB so I didn't have to consider trying to fit in um, different specialties that often have to like rotate on different time blocks and all that um, so I went ahead, I applied to a few away rotations and it's hard to get away rotations because they have to match up with your school schedule too. Um, so I applied to, I think like four or five, um, and I ended up doing one at UCLA, because uh, it was local, um, and it was one of the ones I got. And then I didn't have to pay for housing cause I could commute. Um, so it, and I, I didn't have a strong interest in going East at that point. Um, so it kind of made sense. So did you do the, um, auditions and for those who are listening that don't know, the away rotations are usually done in the fourth year, um, in a specialty you're interested in, you can go, uh, check out different programs too, so that when you're applying for residency, you kind of have a better idea of, um, what those different programs hold. Yeah, it sounds like things worked out. Uh, um, can you tell us a little bit more about REI for those that don't know much about that subspecialty? Yeah, so it is a subspecialty after um, OB residency. It stands for Reproductive Endocrinology and Infertility. It's an additional three years of training. Um, what I things I love about it is that you help women and um, families grow. So it's I think it's probably like one of the most rewarding things you can do. Um, and the patient population is, 
I think awesome because I feel like we can, as women in medicine, we can relate to our patients a lot. Um, a lot of times are women who chose to pursue their career um, and didn't have children you know, early on and now they're having a little bit of difficulty and now they're looking for help. So I love that about it. Um, we, it, there's still surgery in REI, but it's more like a little bit smaller cases like myomectomies, hysteroscopies, um, rather than like say hysterectomies and lots of in-office procedures. You do egg retrievals, lots of ultrasound clinic. So it's, it has a lot of everything. Um, so I, I ended up doing two um, month long rotations as a fourth year in the subspecialty. I got involved in research and then I just really loved it. So my interest has stayed. Yes. And we, I just saw that you had presented at um, the, is it the American Society of Reproductive Medicine conference this past weekend? So yeah. congratulations. Thank you. Uh, about, uh, that research that you were doing? Yeah, so I was really lucky. I got involved in research my first year in residency, um, and I had one oral presentation and three posters. So I was super excited. Um, yesterday, I gave my oral presentation. It was um, discussing the legal and ethical implications of having embryos that are implanted into the wrong individual. Um, so there are actually lots of cases on this and laws that have um, come afterwards. So it was a really interesting um, conversation and I had great um, questions afterwards. So I really had a great time um, discussing that. Um, oh, and cool. then my other two projects, well, I have two projects that kind of turned up into um, different posters. One of them was on oncofertility. So we looked at to see um, on NCI Cancer Center websites if there's been an improvement in discussion of the effects of cancer treatment on fertility. So we used the same rubric um, in 2015 that was used and we did it in 2020 and there was a comparison. And then um, I, I also looked just in 2020 to see if they offer um, information about third party reproduction. So that's using like a donor egg or donor sperm or using a gestational carrier. Um, because for some people with cancer, that ends up being their only opportunity for future fertility. Um, and I think it's not discussed quite enough. Wow, all of those research projects sound really interesting and pretty different from each other. Yeah, it's fun. Maybe we can have you back again and you can talk to us more and do a whole lesson about the um, legal implications with implanting the wrong embryo. I, I feel like that comes up on uh, TV shows sometimes, but they are like uh, J Jane the Virgin, right? Isn't that the whole premise? Is she at, well, yes. she at, <laughs> but really excited Jane the Virgin <laughs> um, to hear more about what exactly, you know, the laws and everything that happens around that and what happens in real life rather than just a TV show. Of course, I'd love to. Um, so you're talking about doing the fellowship, which would be three years after with REI, and there's um, so the four years of residency, and then after that, uh, you apply for fellowship. Um, are there any other fellowship opportunities uh, within OB-GYN that you can do after? Yeah, I think we have awesome fellowship opportunities. So the other great one, there's so many good ones. So maternal fetal medicine is high risk pregnancy. Um, I like to think of it kind of like the medicine doctors of OB-GYN. So they deal with um, diabetes, hypertension, preeclampsia, thyroid disease, and all the genetic abnormalities that come along with all those. Um, it's ultrasound heavy, also clinic, um, but they do hospital medicine. 
Um, they do procedures like cerclages, which are awesome. Um, so that's a really um, interesting one too. Um, then there's gyne oncology. So people who love surgery, um, these are long cases. You see, um, you know, uh, pathology of just cancer and advanced stage um, surgery. So you're doing like pelvic node um, resection and chemotherapy. And re um, so that's people who like to operate more and they treat different population than the rest of um, OBGYN generally. It's generally an older population. Uh, urogyne is also interesting. So urogyne um, is basically like the urology of OBGYN. You'll deal with the pelvic floor um, and issues with urination and prolapse. So it's also more surgical. Um, a lot of their surgeries are done vaginally. Um, and it is, it's, it's, it is also a great, um, great option. So these are all, all the ones I talked about are all another three years. Um, and then there's other ones that are a little bit shorter. So family planning, so complex family planning is two years. Um, and that includes providing like later stage abortions and there's a lot of advocacy involved in that specialty as well. Um, pediatric and adolescent gynecology is also a smaller one. Um, at academic institutions that's becoming more popular. So there's a lot of, um, a lot of really good options. Yeah, I like that there's uh, just so many things that you can do within OB-GYN. And while it is, you know, women, it's, you can do the surgery. And if you really like surgery, just focus on surgery. If you really like working um, with the OB side, you know, looking more a little bit, maybe at maternal fetal medicine and things. So there's just so many options for OB-GYN even afterwards. Totally. Um, yeah. Thinking about the difference between um, the specialties within OB-GYN, how you can have more outpatient versus more surgical. If you like deliveries, you can focus on L&D. Um, that's definitely something that I find attractive about this field. Definitely. I think and it's great because you can, it gives you room to evolve as a resident even um, because your interests do kind of shift and they develop through time. So um, you have the flexibility to be in a specialty where you can go in so many different directions. Even if you don't subspecialize with a fellowship, there's so many different ways you can go. And then you have four years to figure it out. So there's plenty of time. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about what life is like as a resident? Um, and then maybe if you are familiar with what you will have life like after residency, <laughs> once you're all done with your, what will it be for you? Um, nine years for your undergrad in med school, four years of residency, and three years of fellowship. It's a long time. Um, well, I can speak to being a resident for sure. Um, residency, you work hard, but it's super fun. Um, I'm a second year, so second year is probably our toughest year um, in just in terms of call schedule, um, but I think it's, it's I, I'm enjoying it a lot because you're the one that does a lot of the stuff. So I'm doing multiple surgeries a night, um, if there's repeat C-sections, so someone who's had multiple C-sections, there's more scar tissue, it's a difficult, more difficult um, case, that would be a second year case. Um, so we, it's really hands-on and I'm, just, I'm learning so much. So I, I think even though I'm working a lot, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Um, and then I think the other side of it is you don't have a ton of free time, but you have to make the most of your free time. And I'm big on that. So I like I'm like a future planner. It makes me way happier if I have something fun planned on my days off um, and just kind of like ha having something to look forward to um, at the end of the week or the end of the month or whatever it may be makes um, 
makes it just all go by easier for me. Um, also, just trying to figure out what is important to you and holding on to that during residency um, so you don't just wake up, go to work, go to sleep, wake up, go to work, sleep. Like fitting in something that makes you happy, something that's for you. Um, for me, it's working out. I try to work out every day. Um, like for 45 minutes. And um, I think that has helped me stay sane during residency. Working out every day, that's something I definitely am still trying to get the hang of in medical school. <laughs> it's hard. And if it's not, not everyone wants to work out. It's not, it doesn't have to be that. If you like to do art or um, read or whatever it may be that makes you happy, I think just like holding on to that is important. It's really nice to hear how you still make sure to have, you know, your life outside of the hospital and clinic, because I know a lot of, um, a lot of our friends are concerned about OB-GYN as an option because they're worried about the, um, the lifestyle. And that's something that's always been mentioned. I think, uh, to me when I've said I'm interested in OB-GYN is, oh, well, do you even want to have a family? You can't have a family if you do OB-GYN. And I don't know if maybe that was true previously, but I feel like the way things are now, um, you have since you can make that choice for yourself and how you want to practice after, whether it's, you know, being a laborist and doing shifts and uh, doing L and D. So you know exactly when you're supposed to be going in or um, even like with REI, I know some of the clinics, you know, you're on call, but you trade call with other people. And so um, it makes it a lot easier now, especially for us as women to be able to do that. Absolutely. I got the same um, feedback when I told people I wanted to go into OB and they said, you know, the lifestyle is horrible, all this stuff. And um, I think maybe, you know, traditionally, if you were just on call for yourself and you were a man of one and you just delivered all your own babies and every night of the week, you know, you're, you're going in, that's really hard because then you go in in the middle of the night and the next day you have a full day of clinic. So absolutely. Um, but the trends now are even if you're practicing in private medicine, you're in a group generally, and you can choose to be in a group. So the number of people are in, that are in your group will determine how often you're taking call. If you're in a group of three, generally every third night you're on call. Every third weekend you're on call. You now if you make that seven, well, you know you can do the math. So you really have the opportunity to choose um, what practice model works for you and what fits with your life. And I know so many wonderful um, mentors of mine who are female, who have families and they're obese, they're badasses and they like, they juggle it all. So you can do both. You can definitely do both. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Rasuli. It was so fun. Thank you so much for having me. Do you have any last minute tips that you want to share to any uh, pre-med or medical students out there who are interested in going into ob -GYN? I think if it's something that you truly are happy to do and you can't imagine yourself being happy doing anything else, give it your all and it's going to be worth it. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today. We're really grateful um, to have had you and I uh, can't wait to hear more from you in some future episodes, learning more about some um, REI things. Awesome. Can't wait. Thanks, guys. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of OB Wannabes. You can follow Dr. Rasuli on Instagram. Her handle will be in the show notes at Melody Rasuli MD. Join us next week as we talk about the Well Woman exam. We can't wait to talk to with you next week.
We are third-year medical students at Toro University Nevada College of Osteopathic Medicine, and we are student members of ACOG, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, and ACUG, the American College of Osteopathic Obstetricians and Gynecologists. The views expressed in this episode are not representative of any of these organizations, and this podcast is not affiliated or associated with any of these organizations.